Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to a Tech Moment on Cannabis Tech. I'm your host, Christina Etter. Here in this podcast, we take just a few minutes to talk about some of the exciting innovations in science and technology and the cannabis and hemp industries. And today, I am absolutely thrilled because as a journalist, it's one of those exciting things when you have that moment that kind of changes your perspective. When you read an article or you hear a story that actually makes you kind of challenge your thought process, I live for those moments. And today I welcome Gavin Kogan, who is the VP of Government Relations with Grupo Floor. And he recently wrote an article entitled Cannabis, the Afghanistan for Entrepreneurs. This was published in The Green Entrepreneur and it provides a brand new perspective for maybe some of those people that are a little gung-ho to get into the cannabis industry. Welcome to the show, Gavin. Hi, thank you, my pleasure. So before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this article, let's talk a little bit about you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what led you into the industry and and what brought you here to begin with? Yeah, most certainly. Um, So my my training is as an attorney and I was a very unhappy attorney for um, better part of 20 years. Um, actually, maybe a little bit more than 20 years. And I, I, I focused initially on uh, technology transactions and startups. I've always been uh, heavily entrepreneurial in all of my uh, interests and endeavors. And, uh, and then in 2001, I guess, I found myself working um, in Silicon Valley, winding down companies and helping boards of directors through turnarounds and really working with boards of directors and executives in highly stressed out environments. And um, at, toward, towards the end of that, I, I, I sort of went off on my own because I felt I wanted to get back into, uh, let's just say, the joie of, of entrepreneurialism and not so much um, the grave digging of, of, of turnarounds and, and, um, uh, and wind downs. Um, and, and of course, turnarounds aren't always great. You know, sometimes there's a lot of success there, but um, I was always brought in just for that one pivotal moment. Um, I had a client who came to me with a trimming device for cannabis. Um, and, and if you don't know, trimming is an extremely laborious process uh, necessary for cannabis, um, primarily because it's a connoisseur's product, so it has to be shaped. The actual shape of the cannabis buds um, adds a qualitative value. So it's not something you just dump in a tumbler um, and, and get a process. So there's really this aspect to it that's unique. Um, and so my client uh, came to me with a touchpad to scissor actuation solution so that you could have the automation without all the physical re- repetitive stress of, of, of using scissors. And so it's absolutely brilliant. And um, I got involved and, and started pitching with groups like ArcView and, and got deep into cannabis. And I had trimmed cannabis as a teenager in Big Sur, Monterey, California. So I was, you know, interested in it. And, uh, and, and as the story always goes with lawyers, the client couldn't pay the bill and then said, do you want a piece of the company? And I said, yes, because I've been interested in That's really what launched me into it. Um, um, and so I met Steve D'Angelo and a lot of the characters that are high profile um, folks within the industry, Kirstie Koja, another attorney, um, people who are really shaping uh, the, 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 the face of, of cannabis uh, pre-regulation, certainly pre-states and, and, and just on the cusp of, of Colorado moving. And so 
I just lit up, to be honest. I, 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 went, I remember I went to, to New York City, and it just struck me like a thunderbolt, like, my God, I'm sitting here. This is the most exciting time uh, probably in my life to, to be on the cusp of this. And, um, so, you know, long story short, um, I decided to turn my entire practice towards cannabis. And let me explain why I was able to do that. I failed miserably in 2000, you know, losing my house and, and my, my law practice suffering. Uh, so I was really down. And, and frankly, the bargain that I had made with, with practicing law was in exchange for practicing law, I will have security. And when that bargain failed, because I didn't have the security, I figured I've got nothing to lose. Uh, so of course, my my, 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 my Jewish father went crazy that I hung, hung a shingle out to be a cannabis lawyer. Um, why would you destroy all these years of education and so forth? Um, and so that really is what started it down the road. Um, I got heavily involved in policy, uh, more and more interested in the, in the lack of policy around this very important subject. Um, and so I've just been charging ahead on that. And, and I guess to bring it to present, I founded a company called Indus Holdings in 2015, that is, uh, went public this year. And actually we found it in 2014. And then in 2016, I left Indus and co-founded um, uh, Grupo Floor in Salinas. And so Grupo Floor is a, a currently a fully vertical cannabis producer in California. Um, we started out by leasing properties, so we would take over master farms, and then lease them to cannabis growers. Um, and, and that just sort of evolved into an entire supply chain. And I'm currently a chairman of the board. I do government affairs, as you mentioned. Um, and we're probably one of California's least known largest companies, uh, to be <laughs> honest. And so it's, it's exciting to be here and talk about um, uh, a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Absolutely. And and I, I love hearing these background stories because I, I think that really kind of fuels uh, some of the passion that is really behind the industry because there's, there is such a broad, diverse group of people that have come into this industry with that background story of having, you know, some sort of relationship with the cannabis industry and, and helping it become all that it can be here in these coming years. So I always love getting those background stories. Yeah. Um, so tell me just a smidge then kind of what your role is as that, that VP of government relations with Grupo Floor. What do you do um, in that role? Yeah. Um, well, and let me just back up, you know, something that, that's important, I think, to, to comment on is that I grew up in Monterey County, Big Sur area. And, you know, growing up here, cannabis was ever present. My buddies that I surfed with grew it. It was... Uh, it wasn't like it is now where it was year long, you know, it was seasonal and it was something kind of special, but it wasn't, uh, it was never considered something like a, like a schedule one narcotic. It was never cloaked in that kind of mystery. So for me, it was never a big deal. And I, I never, um, it didn't really occur to me till later, like, wow, people have some very strong opinions about cannabis, which seemed so innocuous to me. Um, so there's sort of a bit of a, a background on it. Um, and as I started to learn more, um, about the industry and about 
criminal justice issues and compassionate care issues that certainly prevailed heavily in the 90s, uh, late 80s and 90s with the homosexual population in Northern California, um, which really gave rise to what is today's cannabis industry. Um, and a lot, you know, that, that's, that's an important area of, of, of our history. And I've been fascinated watching this nexus not nexus, but rather this crossing over this chasm from the, I'll call it the illegitimate market to a legitimate market and the challenges of that. Um, my article on uh, cannabis, you know, Afghanistan cannabis, um, it speaks a lot about that, th that chasm uh, and, and habits dragging over and issues like that. Um, to your question, uh, so I'm, I'm not VP of government affairs, I'm chairman of the board. Uh, but I do VP of, of government affairs is one of my tasks there. And so that, that work is primarily working with uh, the National Cannabis Industry Association, the California Cannabis Industry Association, and then a group that I, I co-founded um, that is called the, the uh, California Manufacturers or Cannabis Manufacturers Association. And they all have different nuances. NCIA focuses on, on federal and in that body, I'm really just a member and supportive. In CCIA, I'm a member of the legislative committee and I also participate in their federal advocacy program, which has me going to Washington to meet with California caucus uh, members on um, cannabis issues as they pertain like in the States Act or other bills that might affect our industry and particularly our, our state um, interests. And in the manufacturers um, group, that was really focused on supporting basically CPG issues, consumer packaged good production, and uh, how laws might affect that, and more at the regulatory level than at the policy level, uh, although there's some bleed over at times. So that that's really it. I, I would say that then the other level is that, you know, when I started practicing law in cannabis, I think what interested me about it is my background when I was doing turnarounds and, and windups was you use the bankruptcy code as your background. And in bankruptcy, it's interesting because you use federal law and then you have to look at the state law as well. So you're using different glasses, as it were, monocles, you know, more like this, less like this, like the doctor. And, and cannabis is very much like that. You have to look at what's the federal situation, what's the state situation, um, what's the local government situation, and then again, what's the law enforcement focus. And so every time early on pre-regulation when you were looking at uh, or I was representing people in the cannabis industry, uh, obviously Fed was easy, illegal, but are they enforcing? So with uh, you know the Cole Memorandum, for example, that, that stopped. So then I knew, okay, now we're good with the Fed, we don't have to worry about that. And Fed was more active in different aspects of areas of the state than it was um, in others. Uh, then local, you know, what's the state government? Well, California is famously sitting on its hand for a long time. So that was, there was that, although we were pushing. Um, and then it was local. Uh, different cities and communities have different attitudes about it and, uh, as evidence today. You know, we have majority of Californians voted for Prop 64 and we have, you know, less than you know, less than 25% of the state is, is actively regulating cannabis, creating this massive black market and, and uh, challenges to the regulated market. So that is, it. you know, so, so I guess what I, what I was trying to say there is it's all of these things from federal, state, local, and then law enforcement, trying to get them to um, understand this industry and look at it through a different lens. 
And what a challenge that has got to be, because like you said, everybody's got their different set of rules that you have to kind of abide by and make sure that you're following. And, and we deal with that here in Colorado as well. We have green counties and gray counties and green cities and gray cities. And mm -hmm. so it's really interesting to see how that all plays out. But so let's dig in a little bit to this article that you wrote. I am so fascinated by this. Um, as a journalist, like I kind of mentioned, you know, early in this conversation, it's fun for me when I read things that kind of challenge the status quo or challenge my perspective. And I've always been this proponent saying that, you know, we need people in this cannabis industry. We need the professionalism. We need all these different positions. But then one line in your, in your article really kind of caught my attention. And it's when you said, don't start rearranging the furniture until you know who owns the house. And that couldn't have been more profound to me. There really is something there about, you know, from my perspective anyway, you really do need to give it that due diligence and, and understand the industry before you come in and start making changes and start making those things. And it's a, it is a, a big learning curve. So do you want to elaborate a little bit on, on that side of your article and talk about that transition into the industry? First, I, I, I encourage people to join this industry. Um, I, I've written uh, a little bit on, on trying to encourage education in um, universities and trying to develop professional programs because we need professionals. Um, you know, as I start from where the industry was prior to regulation. And in that environment, I'll call it an illegal environment, um, you have to look at what succeeds. And what succeeds in that environment is paranoia, um, being secretive, um, being stealthy. And there's nothing about that that is successful in a business trying to scale in a professional environment. A professional company that wants to scale and people that are leading scale, part of, part of the endeavor is to make you to puff your chest up to look as big as you possibly are nothing could be more anathema to the way that the cannabis industry originally thought about itself because if you did that you expose yourself to law enforcement you expose yourself to um, attack by others and and then probably something that shouldn't be overlooked that's just not cool like cannabis has this you know, in that environment, you just don't do, you just don't behave in certain ways. And um, so sort of the corporate mindset of raising capital and, you know, making your company look as, as, as powerful as it possibly can and involved in all these things um, that hopefully will, you know, survive through, through a, a deep due diligence, you know, that, that ethic doesn't exist in cannabis. So that's one of the things that's popped up probably most noticeably in the last several years as cannabis has, has grown up is companies are starting to scale must scale um, to to survive the regulatory environment that's a that's a big challenge when suddenly you're paying taxes and you're having to pay workers compensation insurance premiums for the first time in your life and marketing budgets um, and 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 do horrible things like run excel spreadsheets to manage your business um, you have to scale you have to bring on some capital or run an extremely tight ship um, and we're not even getting the 280E and exposures around, um, you know, operating in a legal field. So it's it, it's an interesting chasm going from illegal to legal. And um, I think that what I was trying to say with that particular line was when you come into a cannabis company or you're leading a cannabis company, 
um, at this time, there's really two types of people that I'm seeing. One, traditional, what I'll call legacy cannabis people that can't really scale business well, and traditional people that know nothing about cannabis trying to scale. And that, that's who you have. People without cannabis expertise with money and cannabis people uh, with the expertise but without the money. And so what we've been trying to do at Grupo Floor since its founding is try and marry those two and leverage the best that both have to offer to create a professional industry. And, you know, that truly is, I think, kind of the answer here in this industry is, is that collaboration that needs to happen between those with the business acumen and those with the cannabis acumen. There's, there's definitely some collaboration that needs to happen there in order for this industry to to flourish and keep doing the things that it's been doing throughout throughout time. Like you said, now that we're scaling things, the environment's changing a little bit and we have to be able to evolve with that changing environment. Now you also mentioned in this article that cannabis is probably the worst industry for the get rich quick ideas and, and this conquest that maybe some business owners are thinking, you know, we hear this all the time about the green rush that's going on. And especially now that the hemp, bill has gone through and the, the farm bill has gone through and hemp has been legalized. There's a lot of people now that are looking at CBD and other, other opportunities like this is with, with dollar signs in their eyes. And kind of what you mentioned is that there's, there's so many opportunities for these fly by night, get rich, get rich quick schemers. But in the long term, that's not what's going to be successful. So um, kind of from your perspective, I'd like to hear, how is the industry going to deal with some of these kind of fly-by-night practices and how are we going to help to kind of weed those things out over time? Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the answer for me and probably most of the listeners and people out there is just market economics. I mean, people are just going to fail out. That, that's, that's what will happen. And, um, you know, right now, as we speak, you know, there's a major, major constriction in the Canadian markets and Health Canada floundering, and and lo and behold, that has that has implications for raising money in California, right? So there's um, there, there's there's company there are companies that are having troubles right now throughout California uh, that had had bet the bet the bank on growing quickly, and um, and now that, that's sort of been the, the atmosphere here. At least I'll speak about in California for the last uh, I'd say 18, 15, 18 months has been you've got to grow because you're going to, there, there's the, um, you know, the great aggregation is upon us, kind of like, you know, the great awakening and spirituality in America in the 1790s. Like, there's like the great aggregation in cannabis. All these companies are getting scooped up. All of my colleagues are dating Canadians and it's just, you know, it's this crazy environment. Um, and I, I think that it's, um, and certainly here in the Salinas Valley, we've just got acres and acres of farms. So, you know, the Canadians are everywhere. And, and it's interesting when I was speaking with Governor Newsom at a, at a fundraiser prior to his being elected, uh, when I pointed out to him the economic opportunities that Californians are losing out on and how many Canadians are investing in this market, he was just aghast. He couldn't believe it. And I started explaining to him financially why that was or you know, market-wise why that was happening. And he was fascinating. And it is really interesting how Canadians are investing in California and Californians are investing in Canada because those are the two places that they can. You know, and it's, it's very disjointed right now. Uh, but to your question, the point you were, you were making is, you know, the, I think that the, 
economic development itself is going to wash people out. And, and we need a lot of great talent. Um, and I, I, I think that great entrepreneurialism starts with failure. Like you must fail because entrepreneurialism is trying something new. So I just go fail already. And it's, they know what it is, right? But it's my way of saying, go make a mistake because great entrepreneurs aren't afraid of making mistakes. They go forward and they know that the real difference between a good entrepreneur, you know, and one that can't quite cut it is that a good entrepreneur recognizes when there's a failure and adjusts quickly. And that's the difference. That's the, that's the minnow that gets up further upstream is you recognize the current's too strong here. I'm moving over here. And so I invite people to come into this industry. Maybe they start in farming and they go, man, there is just no profit in farming, but this extraction thing, that seems pretty exciting. Then they go over there and then they get their ass kicked there a little bit and then they move into another area. And that's kind of how I look at the whole ecosystem. And so I, I encourage people who are interested in the cannabis industry, whatever their background, whether it's FP&A or lawyers or, uh, you know, headhunters or whomever, I, I focus, I take what you already know and graft it into cannabis and you will quickly find out what works and what doesn't work. Um, and, and I think that that will just make this industry that much better and that much more sustainable for all of us. Most definitely. And I, I often tell people that too. I get a lot of questions from audience, you know, from listeners and, and people that read our publication. And I often get that question of, uh, well, how do I get into the industry or what kind of education do I need? And I, I often tell people, don't reinvent the wheel. You have a skill set that you've learned. Bring that to the industry and let's find a place that works for your skill set and, and how you can best adjust what you already know. Started this the, a, a trading desk that was based on sort of a commodity structure in cannabis. And it was something that actually I, I had um, wanted to do years, years ago because um, small farmers to aggregate and be able to sell seemed like a good idea and, and valuable. But one of the biggest challenges, the procurement side is, is, is where the challenge is. You bring in this concept of wouldn't farmers love to have this leveraged ability to be able to sell part of their crop and get that stability so they keep their business going. But you've got this culture that doesn't work like that. You've got this culture that's built in the spot market mentality that is grow to July, then sell it for the highest dollar value and then kick, you know, go buy your supplies for the next grow. And so that obviously is going to change, but this is a timing issue. If you come in with commodities expertise in five years from now, you know, this is going to be a well-trod field, but right now these are when you would come into this field, you go, I'm going to make a mid here only to find, gosh, it's really tough to get people to sell me stuff on contract. It's even harder to get them to perform for contract. And how am I going to enforce against somebody who doesn't perform a contract? And geez, maybe I need to retool my, my business model a little bit, right? So th that's what I mean is it's not like existential threats, but I love those kinds of problems and solving them. And that's what's been fun for me about the cannabis industry is endless creativity and entrepreneurial opportunity. Well, it has been an absolute joy to interview you today and to hear your passion. Obviously, you can, you can hear it in your voice, and it, it's great to have that kind of passion with the industry and have your kind of background and, and see all the good things that are coming from, from these types of corporations and getting in front of those government bodies and doing that lobbying and doing that advocacy work, because obviously that's, that's where the next steps in this industry really lies. So 
Thank you so much for your time today. One last thing, Gavin, is if anybody wants to get a hold of you or get a hold of Grupo Floor to talk about, you know, some of the services that you offer or some of the things that you can do, how would they do that? Uh, they can contact Grupo Floor on the internet. We have a website, grupofloor.com. And then my email address is Gavin, G-A-V-I-N, at grupofloor.com, G-R-U-P-O-F-L-O-R.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Gavin. It's been a joy. Likewise. Thanks for having me.